good morning. My name is Justin Jordan. If you're new, and I'm the lead minister here, and we are at our second to last uh, sermon of this series, uh, tightening the knot, talking about marriage and uh, what does God's word say about marriage. And it's been a cool journey so far, hearing from so many of you about how this has been helpful and how it's enriching your marriage. And even for those that are single or maybe divorced, um, no matter where you're at, uh, I've had a lot of people just say, hey, it's, it's good to know what God's word says about these topics, uh, no matter where I'm at in the stage of life that I'm at. And so we're going to continue on the journey. Uh, we're going to end it next week on Mother's Day, which we're really excited about Mother's Day here at Real Life. It's always an amazing day of celebration. And it's also oftentimes a day of healing, especially for people that Mother's Day is a difficult day. And so um, if Mother's Day is a difficult day for you, I want to encourage you to still come uh, because oftentimes it's a, it's a day of healing for so many. And so um, we've been kind of going through this journey of looking at different habits. And to be honest with you, 2023, when it comes to the sermon series, like every single sermon series has been really connected to a habit. I don't know if you've been hearing that word a lot in the sermons that we've been going through. And here's the reason why is... Uh, just recognizing that life is getting quote-unquote back to normal coming out of COVID and recognizing as I'm discipling and meeting with a lot of people in, in pastoral ways is uh, recognizing that COVID kind of messed up our life in a lot of ways and how we actually function and recognizing that we're trying to help you, we're trying to help the people that are in this community to reorient their lives around Jesus and making sure that he's the foundation I don't know how many times I've heard people say, man, we used to do this before COVID and then we couldn't or we didn't and, and now we're, we're not doing the things that we used to do. I was talking to someone just a couple weeks ago that said, I used to pray every single day with my wife because we would leave to work and that's what we do. We'd pray and then we'd leave and then all of a sudden we started working at home together and that cue of us leaving, we just didn't, we kind of quit praying. Um, and, and now we're going back to work more than we used to. We're still working from home, but uh, we, didn't get, we haven't gotten back into praying together. And so this really, this series and all of our series all year long has been kind of like, how do we orient our lives around Jesus, him being the foundation of everything that we do? And that's what this, this slide's really been about in regards to marriage is how do we make Jesus the center of everything we do? Not only in our own individual lives, but also in our marriages and what does that actually look like and and looking at some different habits habit number one are you having jesus-centered significant conversations daily how do we tighten that knot that commitment that we've made to one another habit number two pray for each other out loud together and last week we talked about uh, intimacy and scheduling regular date nights to build godly intimacy it was encouraging to get text messages last week of you guys dating and saying thank you for helping us make each other a priority. And so today we're going to continue on the series and we're talking about finances, which finances is a big one when it comes to marriage, when it comes to fighting. Uh, it's one of the leading causes of divorce outside of communication. And so with that being said, um, I want to laugh a little bit this morning. So I got some dad jokes for you. You guys ready for dad jokes? In regards to marriage, a little boy asked his father, Daddy, how much does it cost to get married? Father replied, I don't know, son, I'm still paying. <laughs> it's all right, wives, I've got the dad one here for them. Uh, my dad is so cheap that when he dies, he's going to walk toward the light and turn it off. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't know about the light, but I'll tell you what, don't touch my thermostat, okay? 
Like, don't mess with the thermostat at my home. Anybody else opening up the windows to cool it off at night? That way you don't have to turn on the air conditioning until June? Yeah, you are my people, all right? I don't care that it's 58 degrees in the house, okay? Um, finances, oftentimes, is a really big fight in a marriage. And here's the reason why. One of the reasons why is because you are bringing two families together, even though it says that you should leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse, the reality of it is, is you bring your family heritage, baggage, habits, whatever you want to call it, into that marriage relationship. And what you're learning to do is you're learning to become one. And that is a struggle at times. Let me tell you, when it comes to finances, me and Natalie come from two different families that attack finances very, very, very differently. In good ways and in bad ways. And so for me and Natalie, like we've been on the struggle bus when it comes to coming into one, when it comes to finances. And to see where we're at now compared to where we started, we are light years ahead. And here's what I'm believing and hoping. That for generations... It's going to change in regards to my family heritage, my family history. Now, each generation is going to have to decide what they're going to do. But in regards to us becoming one, it's been a journey. It's been a process. I remember when Natalie and I, when we first got married, uh, we were learning how to become one. And even though we made plenty of money, learning how to steward that money is a whole other question, right? And so what ends up happening, if you don't steward your money well, is you end up eating a lot of spaghetti for dinner, all right? And even if you don't make a lot of money, I mean, you're just, you don't make a lot of money when you first get married. You're just learning, like, spaghetti is a, is a thing that you eat, or lasagna. Can I get lasagna? All right. Uh, top ramen, okay? And, and I remember nights going, man, there's not a whole lot in the fridge, and we got till Friday till we get paid. What are we having? Spaghetti. <laughs> like, we're having it again, because we can have it multiple nights. It's cheap, and it's good, Right? What are those things you look back in your marriage, for those of you who've been married for a while, and you go, man, we ate a lot of that when we were first starting because we didn't have a lot of money. Or maybe we weren't stewarding it well. Money is one of those things that for all of us, we tend to, at times, struggle with, and it can be extremely frustrating. I love what Ryan Frederick says. He says, finances are frustrating in marriage. Either circumstances or decisions will cause your money train to derail or stall out. It's just a matter of time. No matter what your income level is, tensions will rise. Arguments will happen, and your fortitude will be tested. How many of you guys resonate with that? Okay. Just the reality of part of husband and wife coming together. As we enter into this conversation today, I want to remind you of this working definition that we've been talking about in regards to marriage. That marriage is a commitment between man and woman who live faithfully, fruitfully, partnering in stewardship over the earth and reside in God's kingdom that goes beyond this life. That includes finances. That includes finances. And learning how to bring two people together who, let's be honest, two selfish individuals at times to come together and to make decisions as one can be really difficult when it comes to finances at times. But I think that it's important for us as we enter into this conversation that we look and recognize what actually work 
that God has for us and what he designed us for. And so if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Genesis chapter two as we start this conversation. And I would say out of all the different uh, sermons that we've been talking about, uh, first week and probably this week is, is probably, not only is it applicable to mar- people that are married, but um, really those of you that are single this morning, my hope and desire is that you'd be able to take something significant today to change the way you're living and align to God's will for your life. Genesis chapter two, we've been spending a lot of time in Genesis in the midst of this marriage series. There's so much in Genesis uh, that God's given us in regards to looking about how we as human beings are supposed to function, how we're supposed to live. And if you remember the creation account in Genesis chapter two, it says that when the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But in the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you remember, the Lord said, choose which one you will participate in or partake in, right? And the knowledge of good and evil, he said, no. The, The tree of life uh, was free to them, but they chose unwisely. But verse 15, I want you to look at what it says. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. Everybody say, work it. And take care of it. Say, take care of it. Oftentimes when it comes to this idea of work, we think that work is actually a part of the fall. But in reality, work was something that God actually gave his children to do even before the fall. What was the difference? The difference is, uh, before the fall, work was always fruitful. Doesn't that sound a lot better? After the fall, work actually becomes unfruitful at times. As we look at some of these key words, that word work it is a word abad. It means to labor, to work to serve. God created us as human beings to actually work, to actually steward and work the the earth, the soil. It actually means to to till the soil, okay? Uh, It means to take care of it. This word is shamar. It's to keep, to guard, to observe, to give heed, to be a watchman or to watch over it. Even in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 earlier, it says that man was called to subdue the earth, that word kabash, it means to make the earth useful for the benefit and enjoyment of human beings. And so we are actually called as God's children to work the land, to work the earth, to, to work so that it would be fruitful for us that we'd actually enjoy it. The fruits of your labor. And for so many of us, we look at work and we look at what it means to manage our finances and we think of it as a big dredge but maybe we're not looking at it as the way that god would actually look at it maybe we need to look at it from god's perspective that god created humans singles and marrieds to work together to actually steward the earth to steward the earth this idea of stewardship comes with it with a mindset that stewardship, people who are good stewards that have the steward mindset understand that everything that's been given to them has been given to them on loan, that they're not owners, that they're actually, they're, it's been loaned to them to actually manage. And so the earth has been given to you to manage, not to own it, but to manage it, to work it. Um, your ability to work has been given to you 
to, to manage. Your ability to actually, the talents that God has given you, those are given to you to actually be put to work. And so often we think of work as something that I just have to do instead of having the mindset that work is something that I actually get to do. And some of that has to do with your design. Some of you are, are working in the midst of your design one way, but you're doing a job because, let's be honest, like bills are coming, right? And, and that's the reality of, of part of the life that we live is that we have to pay bills. But I would argue that God has made you and designed you for specific things. And when you align that to what you actually do when it comes to work, you're going to find out that in that midst, in that process, you'll never actually work a day of your life when you love what you do. And that's what God's actually called you, designed you to do, to contribute to the community, contribute to the world, to actually live out the design that God's actually given you. And when you do that, you recognize that everything you do is for the glory of God. Even, the scripture talks about it, even the breath in your lungs are meant to give glory and honor to Jesus. Everything you do, because it's been given to you. I love what C.S. Lewis says this. He says, every faculty you have, your power of thinking, or your moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by, what's he say, given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you cannot give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. I love that quote. I love that quote. And when you understand that, that God's given you the ability to work, the, to subdue the earth, to put it to work, and you recognize that, one of the greatest things that I learned while I was in Bible college was one of my professors, he was in his 80s, and he still was working at the Bible college, and he was still teaching young men and women about the Word of God, and he talked about the idea of work and, and the ability to work, and he said, as I'm getting older, I have the ability to teach God's Word, but he said this, he goes, until you get to a point where you physically can't do hard labor anymore, in the moment, you never enjoy it, you're like, uh it's like digging trench, uh, never enjoyed that. But then as I got older and I couldn't do it anymore, I began to like long for the ability to just work, to do hard physical labor for the glory of God. Here's the big question. If we're all designed for work and we're designed to work for the glory of God and to steward the earth, what do we actually do with the results of our work? The fruits of our labor... Today we're just going to look at a couple things that pop up when it comes to marriage, when it comes to even those that are single. What is it that we actually are supposed to do with the work that God's given us? And here we get into habit number four. God's called you to follow a godly financial plan. And what does that financial plan look like? When you look at all the Old Testament and all the New Testament, there's these common themes that keep popping up. Give, live, and save. Give, live, and and save. The question is, what do you give? Well, Scripture talks about giving a tithe to the Lord. We are called to give a tithe faithfully to God. Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, says really plainly what we're supposed to do. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Whether you've got a lot of wealth or a little bit of wealth, he says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Why do we tithe? Why does God want us to tithe in the midst of being givers, in the midst of being workers in God's earth and stewarding? Why does he want us to give? Because let's talk about this. 
We talked about communication. We need to have significant daily conversation with our spouse and about Jesus. In communication, what are we doing? We're moving Jesus to the center of our relationship. Right? We're moving Jesus to the center of our relationship. Why is it that we should go on date night and pursue each other like Christ pursues us? What are we doing? We're moving Jesus at the center of our relationship in regards to intimacy. Why do we give a tithe? And whether we're married or single, because we're moving Jesus at the center of our relationship when it comes to money. And so when it comes to marriages and deciding, are we going to follow the plan that God has for us? We've got to ask the question, A, are we living out the design that God has for us in regards to work? And then B, what does that financial plan actually begin to look like? It means, number one, putting him first. It means putting him first. I would argue this, that not only in regards to tithing, that that's what we're called to give, but I would argue that we're also supposed to live a life of generosity within, within our finances. That we're supposed to give a tithe, but we're also to live generously. God wants us to be people that are always living with our hands wide open when it comes to our finances. You've heard me say this over and over and over again. The most quoted verse that we all know in regards to what the world quotes, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that when we give, we are actually mirroring the generosity that God has shown every single one of us. That God so loved the world that he gave, that we are called to be givers. And here's the thing. When we give, it actually changes the world. It actually changes the world. And I have been uh, on the receiving end and the giving end of that reality, of seeing lives change and seeing my own life change when people act generously to me and when I'm actually to give generously to others. So what would it look like for you and your spouse to actually spend time looking at your budget and saying, we actually need to do what God's word says. We actually need to put him first in everything that we do. I love what 1 Timothy chapter 6 says. Paul says this to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age, in this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, when we first read that, the first thing that we can do oftentimes with our heart is we go, those that are rich in this present age or this present time. And the automatically thing, the first thing that we do as Americans is we begin to compare. And we go, well, I'm not rich. Well, Maybe not to Donald Trump, you're not rich, right? But the reality of it is, this isn't asking you to compare yourself to Donald Trump. This isn't asking you to compare yourself to all the other Americans. What scripture is asking you to look at is, compared to the rest of the world, are you considered rich? And if you think about it from that perspective, you can go ahead and go online. There's lots of cool search engines where you can say, I make X amount of dollar per year, and you can look at where you land compared to the rest of the world. You might be saying, well, I'm, I'm a college student. Like, I work a part-time job. I only make $12,000 a year. Do you recognize that if you make $12,000 a year, you're one of the richest people in the world? And so when it comes to the rich... Those who are rich in this present world and time, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Why do we give? Because we actually are partaking that God is showing us on how we're supposed to interact with our finances. That we're actually called to open up and to say, all that I've received, my ability to breathe, my gifts, my talents, my ability to work, it's been given to me by God. I'm called to steward that. I'm called to give back to God what is rightfully his. Not only called to give, we're called to actually live. Everybody say live this morning. This is where it gets fun, right? All right, what are we going to do with the portion God's given us to live? 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. But godliness with contentment, everybody say contentment, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, Timothy, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness and so the question that we got to ask ourselves in regards to what we're called to live on is are we living beneath our means and the driving question is is contentment are we okay with living with what god's given us or are we pursuing more are we needing more and the bible's pretty clear that we're called to live beneath our means one of the cool things about our church is that we've got a lot of people that actually want to walk beside you in this. One of our elders, Jim Kuhn, just led FPU this last uh, spring and winter, and I was blown away with what God was able to do through that class. We celebrated a couple weeks ago, but I just want to recap this because this is unbelievable. In that class, there were six families that paid off $92,000 in debt in nine weeks. That is a grip of money. What is that? It's a decision for people to say, we are going to tackle debt and we're going to choose to live with contentment. We're going to live off of what God's given us. We're going to live beneath our means. We're not going to keep striving for more, trying to decide, get more, trying to live off of um, what we don't have instead of just living off of what we do have. So what would it look like for you to create a budget where you actually live beneath your means? Lastly, give, live, and save. Are you saving? Are you saving for those times where emergencies need to pop up? Are you saving for the future? Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. So what does it look like for you to begin the process of saving. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. You've probably been in church for a while, potentially. You've probably been reading your Bible for a while, and you go, I've read all this a thousand times before. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Are you and your spouse willing to start having a conversation about what this actually looks like from week to week? Because you can talk about it. You can read about it. But are you willing to actually have a conversation? And here's the thing. It's probably going to be a fight. That's why you haven't been having the conversation. 
because it's uncomfortable. Because accountability comes into play. Someone has to start saying no, but you don't want to say no because now you're the bad guy. So what does it look like for you to begin to have a conversation about your finances? Some of you, you're not having a conversation. Some of you are, are literally one person's owning the finances, the other person doesn't have anything to say about it. And I just want to tell you, that leads to disaster in your marriage. Some of you, you have separate bank accounts because it's such a huge contentious fight. But I just want to throw this out there. Keeping secrets in your marriage, it's never good. Shall leave your mother and father and you shall become, that includes your finances. Share everything. Share your faults. Share your victories. Ryan Frederick says, share your faults, share your victories, even bank accounts. Hide nothing. Have nothing to hide. So what does this look like? Well, thankfully, from Dave Ramsey, me and Natalie learned how to have this conversation, and we're still learning how to have this conversation. Number one, step number one, would you be willing to identify the role that you actually gravitate towards when it comes to money? Some of you gravitate towards um, being savers, and you actually love the budget, and you actually are a nerd when it comes to the numbers. Do we have any nerds in the room this morning? Okay. Praise God for you. Then there's other of you that are the free spirit spenders. Anybody here this morning? You are my people, right? Why'd you buy that? Because it was on sale. It was a great deal. And I need this. But do you really, right? Identify the role that you have. Are you a free spirit spender or a nerd saver? And here's the deal. You're asking the question, well, I'm single. Whatever you are, identify what you are. And would you be willing to allow those that love you and care about you, the church, to walk beside you if you need help with your finances? Some of you are 50-50. You play both roles. You are a gifted person. You don't need help with your finances. You do a great job. That's awesome. Would you be willing to help some of us others that need help, okay? But the reality is you need to identify which role you actually gravitate towards. And if you are the nerd, you are tasked with creating the budget. You are tasked with creating the budget. And bringing that budget, step number two, bringing that budget to the free spirits and allowing us to speak into it. I say us because that's what I am. And I like to spend money. And so sometimes I like to tell Natalie, Natalie, I said it this week. We're going on date night. Well, it's going to be tight. Our marriage is worth it. We'll pull money from Sam if you got it. I don't know. I want to. We're going to be fine. We need to go and have a date night. Would you be willing to start having a conversation you create the budget, you bring it to the free spirit and allow them to speak into it when it comes to your marriage relationship. Step number three, this is the difficult one for me and Natalie. We then review the budget at the end of the month. How did we actually do? And that's when it can get painful, right? The clear goals that you had set out and then at the end of the month, none of those goals got accomplished, right? And that's when the fighting often happens. 
what, what, what are this? This isn't in the budget. I know, it wasn't in the budget. I didn't ask permission. This is where the fight comes. But you've got to, if you're going to be one in your marriage in regards to finances, you have to be willing to do the hard things. And if you actually want to grow together in intimacy and love, this is what it requires. So step one, identify the role. Step two, create a budget. Step number three, review the budget. If you're here this morning and you're going, I've tried this. It's just not working. I just want to tell you, I said it earlier, there's a host of people at Real Life that have come to us and said, if someone ever needs help with finances, we would love to walk beside you. Whether that's FPU, whether that's one of our elders, whether that's other leaders in our church, we've got people that have said over and over again that they've been blessed, whether it's their family that taught them how to do well with finances or they've just never had this issue in their marriage when it comes to fighting. They've come to oneness on it really well if you need help we're here and I know that this is uncomfortable finance is one of the most uncomfortable things but here's the reality is that when we enter into real relationship whether it's marriage or whether it's the church walking beside you and you actually begin to follow what God has for you in regards to finances and when you actually surround yourself with people that love you and care about you and you begin to experience freedom in this area of life it's amazing how much the stress and worry of money, you don't have to be enslaved to that. It's not God's design for you. And so what would it look like if we were to take a look at some of these passages and we, we actually said, you know what? Like, we're actually gonna try this. We're gonna try again. We did well for a while, but now we're gonna enter back in and we're gonna try again. We're gonna keep forging ahead and learning what it means to steward what God has given us because he's called us to be a people that steward what we have and to steward it well. And that when we do that, freedom and life comes to the other side. As we wrap up and get ready for communion this morning, I just want you to be thinking about this. Whether you're single or married, what does it look like to live a godly financial plan? And what are the things that you need to commit to to change, to to grow in, to release unto the Lord and to say, God, this is yours. And I'm gonna trust you in it. Now, here's the other cool thing. This morning, as you came in, you probably recognize there's no communion out there. That's because chain supply issues, we didn't get any communion. So we're going old school. We're passing the trays. Do you remember this back in the day? Yeah. So as we get ready for communion, if you want to take communion, instead of just raising your hand, what we need you to do is we need you to receive the tray, take one for yourself, and pass the tray. And some of you that never came to church before COVID, you're like, I, I don't know what this thing is. What, what is happening right now? Just go ahead and pass the tray. Receive communion. And if you don't want to take communion, you don't have to take anything. You can just pass the tray next to your neighbor. But as we get ready for communion this morning, I just want to invite you into wherever your heart is in regards to finances. For some of you, you're just weary in regards to this topic. Jesus will meet you in your weariness. Some of you, you're excited because you feel like maybe you have some clear steps you've never tried. Remember that excitement that the Lord's putting in your heart now when it becomes difficult because it's going to be difficult. But the core of this we are called to put Jesus at the center of everything. Everything. 
our work, our finances, all of it. So what would it look like for you to begin to have that conversation if you haven't yet? Let's get ready to have a meal with Jesus this morning.